You are now entering the MXU podcast. No credentials required. Well, hey, everybody. Welcome to episode 94 of the MXU podcast. I'm Jeff Sandstrom, and I'm here with my two co-hosts, Lee Fields and Jay Desai. How are we doing today, boys? Man, I'm We're delicious. Back. You guys, You guys let me back on. I know. I know. I was in timeout for a little bit. You were. Well, you almost went to jail, and so we had to make sure that you were cleared by the court before we let you come back. As of today, I'm a Freeman. <laughs> I like it. I'm a Morgan Freeman. <laughs> I'm a Freeman. I love, I love that you acted in your own defense, though, as your own attorney, uh, which is your constitutional right, so good for you. It is. Well, let me tell you this. Part of my issue was the camera ticket, right? And those are unconstitutional because due process would require that in court, uh, an accuser, whether it was a, uh, a peace officer or a, a federal marshal or anything, would be able to stand in front of me and accuse me of a crime. And so cameras are unconstitutional. They are observational, but they should not be able the action of a camera should not lead to a ticket. In fact, I've had speeding tickets that I've gotten out of before because I went to court and the officer who wrote the ticket didn't show up. And so, you know, the court 100%. clerk said, there's no one here to corroborate your charges. You're free to go. So, Well, I said that, I said that to the honorable judge, beep, 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 today. And I said to him, well, my accuser is currently mounted to a pole, probably about 40 feet in the air. So unless someone's going to climb up there and go get him or her, I don't see the need to continue this portion of my trial. Now, my other crimes, those are in a, that's a whole other <laughs> podcast that's not worth going into. I just want you to know that I'm free. We're all, we're all glad that you're free. We're Thank glad that you're here. Thank the heavens I watched JAG religiously. Did y'all watch JAG? This is, uh, what's it stand for? J- Judge Advocate General. <laughs> it's the Navy's. Uh, they kind of cover all branches, but... But it's the Navy uh, law firm. Um, but basically, they were the precursor to NCIS, which is another fantastic show. I hate all those shows. Wait, Jay, I love all. Jay those loves shows. them all. So, Jay, are you still watching all of the Chicago shows? Love Chicago Med. Love Chicago PD. Love Chicago Fire. What about when they do? NC- hold on, when they do an episode that's intertwined, like it's bro. My whole night is booked. <laughs> if they do one of those trilogy things, that those three hours, phone is nowhere to be found. The whiskey's flowing, and I am in. I am watching all three hours. I also like NCIS, NCIS LA. NCIS um, New Orleans is okay, and NCIS Hawaii hasn't grown up It's yet. the same CSI, same show, right? That's different, man. I'm not really in CSI, but listen, they had the JAG guys on NCIS a year ago. What a throwback, bring back. It was awesome. Okay, so this is appropriate for today's episode because we're learning some about Jay, and the episode is really just based on your questions to us as MXU. So Lee posted a couple of days ago about, you know, hey, send us your questions. We wanted to celebrate Christmas and the end of the year by just kind of coming to you with an episode that was solely related to Q&A. So we've learned a little bit about Jay, but we got a lot more questions from the Instagram and the social medias. And so we want to basically just kind of speed round this thing and answer as many of these questions as we can. Some of it will be popcorn. Some of it will be in-depth. Some of it will be, um, let's move on to the next question. We'll <laughs> yeah. see what happens. Right. Wait, are we giving legal advice to people? Is that what we're doing? No, not one bit. 
Oh, I was confused because you referenced my newfound criminal. It's not real. I've been a criminal for no. I'm, that was that was basically why we're able to welcome you back today. Not oh, not that we're giving legal advice or also that podcast with Grace, y'all. How good was that? It was so I cried. Listen, in my car. I did the I did the episode. We recorded it. I was crying during the episode, and then during the edit, I'm listening back and I'm crying again. It's like I just couldn't help myself. It was amazing. It was so. And good. then you listen to it again, right? Driving driving into Knoxville, which we can talk more about, and when it finished, like when the the current episode in Spotify finishes, it just goes to the next episode. Well, when you're listening to the most up to date one. It went back to episode one, and I just let it play and listen to the first 20 minutes of episode one, it, and then I cried again, just thinking about like, you know, the whole deal and hearing Andrew. It was just like, man, that was cool. Yeah, so I texted Lee, and I said, hey, this podcast is amazing. He, and then he told me that story about the wraparound to episode one, so I had to go do that as well. And so I'm just, I'm a blubbering idiot by the time I got to Knoxville with Lee because I had heard the stuff with Grace and then Andrew and it was, it was just awesome. So. I love it when Grace is on the podcast. We need more of that. Also, I was crying. Thank God my windows are tinted like down to 5% because nothing like seeing like a fuzzy brown dude like me at a red light in a big ass Jeep, just crying his <laughs> eyes out, but not li even listening to music. You just hear someone yeah. talking and I'm just bawling. <laughs> Normally I'm listening to Les Mis or something, just crying in the car. But this time it was just words. That's, That's funny. funny. I got a I got a reputation to keep out in these streets in Atlanta. <laughs> in these <That's> streets. <laughs> but we digress. Yeah, we we digress. We got a lot of questions. Should Ooh. we just dig in? Favorite drum mics. Go ahead. Okay, Lee. my favorite drum mics. Who we're gonna say who asked them or leave that? No, we should. Yeah. That was Tony Licious Music. First off, Tony Licious should get a new name. Terrible, uh, terrible yeah. name, Tony. Yeah, terrible name. Uh, my favorite drum mics. Let's, I'll just go real quick through the whole input list. Uh, I do one kick mic, a Sennheiser 901. I don't do an out mic. Uh, snare, Beta 57 on top, Mojave MA100 on the bottom, Hi-Hat, another MA100, Tom, Rack Toms, smaller than 14 inches, Beta 98, large Rack Toms, uh, condensers, KSM 33, <laughs> 32, 44, any of those. 27 whatever um overheads back to the ma100s or 414s or 214s uh is that all of them yep and then uh i run my snare drum through steven slate trigger and make sure it's really out of phase and screws up the whole mix and then creates an unreliable <laughs> scenario for everyone but at least the snare drum sounds like bethel's you didn't talk about the other four bottom snare mics you know right have. jeff what you got Man, for me, it's generally pretty simple. I do use two kick mics, though, when I can. Uh, sure, Beta 52, Beta 91, Amen. in and out. And then, um, you know, for me, snare top and bottom generally are SM57s, not Beta. Um, if I have a condenser on the bottom, it'll be something small and simple. Um, Hi-hat is a whatever pencil condenser is around. Though I did on this uh, worship recording that we did for my church, I put one of the DPA mics on the hat, their pencil condenser, 
and it sounded magical. So if you have budget for a $1,000 snare uh, hat mic, I would uh, highly recommend the DPA. <laughs> that's, is, that, is that before or after the $1,000 bottom snare mic that Lee's yeah. selling? Well, that's the, that's the problem. Like, I'm, I'm thinking, okay, quick and dirty, set them up and go, like, highly yeah. uh, affordable and readily available. Now, if you want to get into a studio situation, this might be a different answer. But for me, it's, you know, simple setup. And then Tom's is generally Beta 98s, um, overheads, 414s, if I can get them. Um, if not, then, you know, some other large diaphragm condenser, KSM 32s, and the like. What did you say on your Tom's? Beta 98s. I have become a 904 fan. Dude, I like those too. Yeah. Like, you can hit them with a stick and you're not worried. Yeah. And they, they sound great. But I'm with Jeff on most of my, my preferences. You know what I want to try next year? It just came out yesterday. Neumann now has microphones for close micing instruments. Ooh, I wonder if MikeRentals.com will have them. Oh, code MXU15 at checkout to get 15% off anything at MikeRentals.com. So, Stephen, if you're listening, uh, the Neumann drum mics might be uh, a next purchase for you. Get that 2022 spending going. Yeah, let's just go and order them, Stephen. Okay. I love that. Also, do y'all do a, uh, um, like any auxiliary mics on drums? Like, like if it's just a for second no, snare not, drum? Or? No, not for second instruments, but for space. Like, I know in the studio a lot of cats do that, but like live, do any of you do that? When I was out with Lauren, we did. Um, we had a mic that I called Snare Rim which was just kind of out from like in between the kick and snare in space a little bit to try to get some of the overall picture of the just like as if you were standing in front of the kit. It was pretty awesome. Kind of like a room mic, but not too roomy. Well, yeah, Raybold on the tour, those tracks he used from um, Shockley, he had a 414 on the batter side of the kick in Omni and figure eight and figure eight to get the snare and the kick drum in the same mic. And it was ridiculous. Now, I don't know that that works in every environment. You know, it was a special setup, but. Yeah, if you're on a really loud stage, that's not going to give you the same result. But he was in a more controlled environment that was pretty cool. And then just one overhead. So he had basically, you know, three mics. And it was slamming. It was great. Next question. Ooh, how to deal with sound complaints even after leadership set the level. So I think that scenario is leadership said, here's where our mix needs to be, and you're still getting sound complaints. I don't think if you're in a church, it's your job to field that. So I think you be really polite and you address the person, you know, in the most polite, cordial way you can and just ask leadership who you would like them to talk to. Because I have a feeling your leadership team and your pastor would not like you to counsel someone that's angry about the sound. So I think you should have a designated usher, probably first line of defense, like a head usher or maybe a staff person there nearby. You should go ask that. But you should say, hey, I'm so sorry. Um, You know what? If you'd like, I can let you talk to this person. I know they'd like to talk to you about that. And just diffuse, de-escalate, and then send them to someone else. But the, the encouraging part of that question is that it's implied that the, the tech team and leadership have had a conversation and have determined what we think collectively the sound of our church should be. 
If you haven't done that, then I think that's the best first step for sure. Because then the, you know, everybody's on the same page and the arbitrariness of a particular complaint can get diffused pretty easily because it's like, hey, we've all agreed as a team, this is what we're going for. And if we're hitting that mark, then we just have one point person who fields all those complaints. The other thing you can do is just ask them real quick. Well, how much you give around here? <laughs> uh, which one of these speakers is named after you? Yeah. Um, no, You're- I general I generally have the fake fader where I'm like, oh, I'm so sorry. <laughs> I was like, is it? Okay? And I just bring it down a little bit, and that normally psychs them out. Yeah. Or I say, hey man, I don't tell you how to live your life. <laughs> You're not the boss of me. <laughs> Next question. Ooh. Drum Crush on Wing by... Oh, so that was Zach that asked that previous question. Brad Bates asked this question. Drum Crush on Wing. You don't do it because the console doesn't have built-in delay compensation. But if you were going to do it, you send the whole drum group to a stereo group with, let's say you're using the 76 or the uh, distressor compressor. You put that distressor on the dry group. You don't do anything to it. You send the same drum inputs. You copy those to the next in-line stereo group, and you put the same compressor on that group. The reason you're putting the same compressor on it is you need to keep them in time. And the only way to do that is to ensure they go through the same amount of processing and the, that the plug-in on each group has the same amount of latency. That's why it has to be the same one. So parallel compression is just applying a different process to one group than the other. So all the drum inputs are going to group one and two, it's dry, but it's in time because it's got a compressor just to keep it in time. And then all the drum inputs are going to group three and four, and you're squashing the piss out of them. And thus, that's the parallel compression, and you blend those to taste. That's how you would do that on a console that does not do automatic delay compensation. Not just the wing, but any said any. console. Any. Right. When are consoles just going to automate all that? Well, they're getting there. I mean, it's all about DSP. The Ravage stuff now does it. Um, Avid does it in a really complex way. Um, the LV1 does it. So far, that's all. I'm probably forgetting something. Somebody will correct me, but they're getting there. Next. Crispy8, Chris B853 says, favorite tour story. Jay, you answer this one. What's your favorite story? From tour? Yeah, anything. Not our tour, any tour. Oh. Like if you're sitting That's around a-, a group of people that doesn't tour and they're like, oh, you tour? Like, what's the story you're like, I'm about to blow these people's mind? Well, there was this one time. This I don't know if this is a blow mind story, but Crowder. Keep it uh, PG. <laughs> well, yeah, well, especially if it's me and him. Um, he decided he wanted a porch on stage. I don't know how many of y'all saw this, saw this tour. And so literally on a napkin, um, we had drawn a porch. And then we did something at our church, and a guy, a friend of ours, PJ, had kind of built this porch, but it wasn't built on a frame or anything. He just built a front facade. So then later, Crowder and I were somewhere, and we were we drew it out. And I drew it out how I could make it work, like as far as go through doors. We're playing a lot of churches, so doors are 
churches don't always put in commercial doors. And so you really need to look like a residential door to what, what your capacity and width and height is. And we kind of, but we wanted it to be tall and blah, blah, blah. Anyways, we had this porch and this porch became notorious. And when people would book Crowder, they would ask specifically and put it in the contract. Hey, we want to make sure he has the porch. Cause it was such a deal. Drums, bass, and percussion were on the porch of the house. So That's it was crazy. a house facade with a porch and it, it packed up the whole thing packed up into three, eight feet by 30 inches by, I think it was 60 inches. So get through the door three of those and then everything. And then the top part would live in it. We had vipers built into it. It had a, it had a door lights, not long, snakes. Yeah. Yeah. Viper lights. Like it had led. The whole thing had invisible paint on it and they were all Crowder lyrics. So a certain part in the song, black lights would come on and these lyrics would appear. The 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 rim of the roof, we had a real rusted roof that we carried around. Really not a good idea. Tetanus shots everywhere. But uh, the the rim of that roof, when it came down, um, there was some old wood on it that said, and that was my favorite part, seeing it glow up, said, Earth has no sorrow that heaven can't heal, mm. which is a lyric of his, which is from an old hymn. It's, it was really magical. This, I had a shotgun hidden in the porch. Don't tell anybody. Um, and there was <laughs> so many great things about this porch. However, we then when it was our tour, it was great. Then we started doing arena tours, uh, and we were doing Winter Jam. And I had like nine minutes. I was on that tour with you. Put it on, and then we did rock. Oh yes, yeah, right. And then rocking. I don't know if you saw my crew. We were hustling. Well, it was like we were, three of you. Yeah, it was me, Nolan, and Mark Cole. Um. And we like literally hustling to build this porch in nine minutes and light check the band. It can be done. Then we did rock and worship road show when that was a thing and going well. And um, we did it there. And some hands brought, brought them, brought one section off. And I, you know, I was telling them, I was like, hey, do not take it anywhere. Just line it up behind the deck because the vom of the arena was shorter than the thing. And it's in t- the top part is screwed into two pieces. Well, they hit, they were going over some yellow jackets. They hit the VOM full on. Oh, no. And, and the top piece fell off, and it hit someone in the back of the head. Now, the razor is, blade aluminum? No, no. The, the, sorry, the roof, oh. uh, the, the like wood slash steel structure. Got it. Came off. It hit the tour manager of that tour, a guy named Kirby. Bless him. Um, and his back was to them. He was actually going to jump on stage with Mercy Me that night and play saxophone. Um, and it hit him right shy of the back of his head and neck, like to the point where blood was gushing. At one point, I was holding his head together until the paramedics got there. Mercy it, Me. Like, it, <laughs> I see what you did there. I, see what I, did there. It, uh, I can only imagine. Um, it busted a vertebrae. Oh my goodness! Like kind of thing. I thought I thought he was done for. I didn't sleep that night. Like it was wild. So that's not really a fun tour story. But like no. from a touring logistical standpoint, I mean, I'm calling insurance companies. I'm waking people up. Like it was a whole ordeal. Kirby is doing great. <laughs> he is great. Nothing. No effects of that. But I like for a minute there, I was worried. So, anyways, tour story. Wow. And that time uh, I was on the Tomlin tour with Jeff and they asked me at Red Rocks to run up to the top and throw these massive inflatable balls out. 
Um, and there was like six of us that were running up there and I couldn't make it all the way up. So I just stopped halfway and lunged my ball into the <laughs> middle of the crowd. But if you watch the DVD, one ball is floating before all the others had made it from the top. That was mine. I couldn't make it. I'm way more athletic now. That's awesome. Okay. Cause I have, I have Lulu shorts. That was an amazing tour. Geek up to death asks parallel compression versus stacking compressors. The difference, Jeff. So Lee talked about parallel compression a minute ago, where you're basically, um, you have an unprocessed signal and a, another version of that signal that is processed, and they're basically playing back in parallel. And so you're compressing one or affecting one in a different way than you're affecting the original. Stacking would be just applying multiple compressors to the same signal. Um, and, you know... I guess that would be in series. Yeah. So parallel versus series would be the the way of thinking about it. And so sometimes people use uh, different compressors in series because they're looking maybe to use one as a limiter, and then a second compressor may have a different uh, color that it would add to the tonality of a sound that you would want to basically shape the tone with compression or apply multiple compressors to the same signal uh, to get a little bit of compression out of each one uh, so that the net effect is, you know, a more compressed sound, but different um, ways of approaching the tonality of that sound with different kinds of compression. So I hope that answers what you were asking, um, but it's it's fairly straightforward. Yeah. All right, I'm going to skip. The, we'll come back to this drum one because it's just been a bunch of audio questions. Best advice for finding a church as a volunteer from Belucas. So what he's asking is, how do I even find a church to go volunteer at? And when I wrote this one down, actually, I thought about this. Um, I think it should not have anything to do with the technical. I think he, he said he just graduated college. I think you should find a church that believes in the Bible and has great preaching and engaging yes. worship for you as as a young Christian who's just graduated college, and then figure out what your highest and best use of volunteering to that church would be. Whether they Man, have so good. an SD7 Quantum or they have a Behringer Wing, it does not matter. You find a church that you can be fed in, that you can develop community in, that believes the Bible, that preaches the Word, has engaging worship, and then... And then maybe poke your head into that booth and say, hey, how can I best help you? And once you find a great church, you may find that the best place for you to serve is not even in production. It could be that you're out in the parking lot or you're leading a small group or you're helping take care of kids and being a mentor for students or whatever that, that can be. It's like, Production may not even be the greatest need that this great church of yours has. So um, I think if you, if you start by looking for a place with great production where you can be a volunteer, I think that's a dangerous, a dangerous way to go about it. Lee, so you're saying catch the vision. Yeah. A biblical teaching, catch the vision, and then find a place to serve after that. Yeah, it's like, what church would you attend at? Not, what church do yeah. I want to serve and volunteer in? Would you say in? peership matters? Like, what if I walk into a church and it's all 90-year-olds? The teaching is great, but I don't see myself in like a 
peer-esque community there? Where would you say that? I think that's on the list. I, I still firmly believe a great Bible teaching church is the number one requirement. That's I, great. I, but a great Bible teaching church full of 90-year-olds, and I'm 37, I'm not going to be able to build community there. I don't know, man. These dogs eat at 5 p.m., and I love that. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. I'm Blue plate special for Jay Desai. I'm kind of a 5.30 dinner guy myself. Okay, next question. Who's asking, me or y'all? Uh, Reed said preferred comm system. I have some thoughts on comm. Lee, do you ever wear comm? Comm, comm. Uh, you know what? It's, uh, like, it's like in-ears. Do you ever wear those? I got them in right now. Hmm. That's cute. Um, I want to know your thoughts. And while you're doing that, I'm going to call Zach Kimry and just put him on speaker and ask him that question. Um, I like the Bolero comm system so much. Everything else feels like the the 90s or 80s to me. Uh, Okay, for for what feature set and what reasons? The old two wire feels like the 80s. The free speak stuff feels like the 90s early 2000s but the Riedel stuff number one it allows you to pair bluetooth headphones it's pretty sick if you receive a phone call you can answer it through your comp and you can set priority so if i'm wearing comm and you call me jeff and i don't have it on priority then comm takes precedence but i could tell it to duck comm while i'm on the phone which is awesome uh two it's lightweight the the belt clip has a bottle opener, which I think is awesome. <laughs> um, and the way it works is you don't have to have a, I don't know a ton about it, but you don't have to have a base station, um, which most comp systems, you have to have a base station and then you go from there. Yeah. And so um, you don't have to have that. You can just buy an antenna and I think you can do uh, and and repeat that for a while till you got to get a base station. That's been my experience with the Bolero stuff, and I've loved it. That's Riedel. Riedel. And I know that it uh, can do multi-locations really, really well with profiles. And so if you're a multi-campus church, I believe that, I'm, don't quote me on this, but if you leave one campus and go to the other, when it connects to that Wi-Fi system, it it uh, updates your pack into that or whatnot. So anyways. All right, let's give this a shot. I'm calling Zach. This is dangerous. Yeah. yeah. Might have to be some editing. I saw him this weekend, by the way. I saw that you saw him. I had lunch with him and the family. The suspense. Hey, it's Zach. I can't get his phone right now. Please oh. Wow. Let's leave him a message. The tone. Please record he can't message. hear y'all. When yeah. you have finished recording, you may hang up or press one for more options. Hey, Zach, it's Lee. Um, you're live on the MXU podcast right now, or at least your voicemail is. And now you have a live podcast episode on your voicemail. It's like Inception a little. We were going to ask you what your preferred comm system was because someone sent in that question. So maybe you can get on your Insta and, and let everybody know. Have a good day. Hi, Zach. And Jeff and Jay say hi. Maybe maybe he'll call back. <laughs> right. Reed. He might. Reed asked also Jeff's thoughts on the Lawo. <laughs> the Lawo. <laughs> well, my first response is Jay needs to learn how to pronounce the name of the company. It's spelt L A W O. I know, but it's German and they say their W's like V's. 
Um, so I had the Lavo console for the MXU Tour, and I really liked it. I think the um, just the customizability, the flexibility, um, the just the workflow could basically adapt to however you like to operate a console. Um, I love the screens. I mean, some of the simple things like the ergonomics and the buttons and the way the fader feels. It really does feel like a, a, a really comfortable and pleasing work surface. Um, I have not mixed with their head amps, so I haven't used their stage rack in a live situation. We were just playing back tracks on the tour. But I have heard that once you use the console with their stage racks, you'll like it even better. So, I mean, I feel like the way they do their, their preamp and the way the networking of the um, system works is pretty impressive. So there's a couple of things that I would say would need to be tweaked uh, if it were to be a everyday load-in, load-out touring situation. Uh, but they're, they're learning those things, and those feature sets will be in firmware updates. So I think as a, as a console to consider, if you're in that sort of SD10-ish range for price consideration, I would say Lavo is definitely worth uh, a second look. You know what I like about the Lavo console? What's Tony, that, Jay? Tony Stairs. Amen. Nice That's guy. good people right there. That's good. Next. Oh, this one's interesting. Does my gain level affect the volume on the Behringer P16? Uh, JMZE27 submitted this. Okay, so there's a couple questions that got submitted about gain and volume and good gain structure, and we'll get to some of those. But the short answer is yes, but I think you're asking this because you don't have a great understanding of what gain is. So we have a video on this. If you go subscribe to MXU and just search for gain, you can. there's a very in-depth video about what gain is, why we need it, and all that. But yeah, when, you're, when you increase the gain of a channel of a microphone, you're increasing the level of that to everything else past gain. And again, go watch the video if you want to know why you need gain at all. But anything after gain in your signal chain will get an increase or decrease in level based on the input gain of that channel. So not only does it affect it on your P16, it affects your compressors, your gates, your sends to any other auxes or buses or like literally everything. Because in most scenarios, whether it's a channel strip of a console or a gain knob on an outboard piece of gear, gain is usually the first stage of setting a level in a signal. So it basically establishes the level for the entire signal path, like Lee is saying. So I think, you know, to your point, Lee, about this person who submitted the question, they had three different questions about gain. And so I think, again, just a general understanding of good gain structure is super important. So his third question was, um, is having the same level of gain across every channel a good idea? So our friend Chris Raybold would say, absolutely, yes. So talk for a minute about setting gain structure in terms of how you set input gain for all of your channels. Yeah, and when, when, you, when we're talking about good gain structure, we're not saying set the gain knob to 20 on every channel. What we're saying is right. you need to have good gain on each channel. 
and that would make it consistent. Now, one way to do this is pick a number and shoot for that number no matter what the source is. So that may be, let's say it's minus 12 on your DBFS scale or minus 18. You want it high enough to where you're getting good conversion from analog to digital because when that conversion happens, it's like taking a picture with a digital camera. If your digital camera is a 100 megapixel digital camera, um, why would you only take five megapixel pictures? You want the highest resolution possible. That's the same way analog to digital conversion happens. So when you give your source enough gain, minus 18, minus 20, minus 12, it's all different in that range, you're giving your console the best possible shot at converting that from analog to digital at the highest resolution possible. You're actually getting all the bits out of it. And again, we have videos on this too. So what we all like to do, and I'm speaking for all of us because I know this is what we do, we pick a number. So let's just say your number is minus 15. I'm just making one up. What you want to do is make sure every single input on your console hits minus 15 and it's consistent so that everything past that also has the best shot at performing well. Your thresholds on your compressor can now be in the middle of the scale as opposed to at minus 60 or at zero or on one end or the other. Same thing with your sends. If your gain structure is way off and you want to send um, your snare drum to reverb, but you don't have enough signal, you don't have enough gain, you don't, your meter's not high enough, you may have to crank that send to you know, plus 10 and max it out and it's still not hitting the reverb hard enough. Or the other uh, way is if you're clipping, you may just be sending like a very small amount and any adjustment you do at that small scale to that aux may be in increments of 3 dB because you don't have enough resolution on the encoder that's going to the, uh, going to the effect unit. So pick a good healthy number somewhere in the middle. And uh, for people that are inexperienced at this, don't get really close to the red for people that are very experienced at this. You can, you can play a little dangerous, you know, you can get, get pretty close and get pretty hot and it'll actually change the way the source sounds with some consoles that are going to sound different, the harder or softer you're hitting those preamps. Lee, follow-up question for churches that necessarily either self-installed or haven't had great experience with an integrator. So say that I've got my gain structure is really good and it's really working especially multiple volunteers and stuff, every week if we know and we have a broadcast desk, we can use files and get some consistent results that way. However, yep. my, all my faders are down at like negative 20. Yep. So where do, do what, how do I do that with the PA if I'm shooting too much PA? The, on the console, where would I adjust the PA gain structure at that point? Yeah, there's a couple. I'll tell you every way you can do that along the signal path. So let's take a channel. You've got your meters are happy. You're rocking it. Let's say minus 15. That was our number. Um, but when I pull that fader up to zero, it's so loud in the PA. Like I can't. I'm now I'm mixing with the fader way down low, and any adjustment is moving it 3 dB, and that's too much. Well, that's what the digital trim is for on consoles. You just have to figure out where that is in the signal chain, so you can trim down, and that's not affecting the gain or your preamp or your converters it's a it's that trim is actually after that stage in the signal chain so that's a great way to do that um and but you can also just attenuate in a in a bus or a group scenario so send all your drums to a group and then attenuate that whole group 
minus 30 dB if you had to so that the PA is not too loud. And do that to each individual um, group of instruments, or you could do that to the whole thing. You could send everything, your whole band, your vocals, everybody to a group and then attenuate it there. Or you could do it on the input side of your PA processing. It's, if you've got an external DSP, you can do it there on the input side. Or you can do it on the output side of that same DSP. Or you can do it on your amplifiers. If you have a really simple setup and you've got maybe one amplifier, powers your whole PA, and you're loading in and loading out at a middle school, and you got one amp, well, you can just turn the input to that amp down. Or if your speakers are powered, there's a volume on the back of those speakers. So the point is, there's many other places you can do this in the signal path. Where you don't want to do it is the gain knob on the preamp. Good advice. Uh, let's see. How to mic an upright piano? I don't know. Jeff, how do you mic an upright piano? I've never done that. Uh, well, I, I assume they mean like uh, an upright that you might find in grandma's basement that has a closed back. Yeah. It's, yeah. So um, it's multiple ways. You know, multiple ways, but I would say generally getting the microphones as close to the soundboard as possible, which is at the back of the piano. So um, I mean, it's, it's a bit of a different situation. I think what most people do is they take the guts out of the upright piano, put a Nord in it, and make it look cool on stage yeah. and just treat it like a keyboard. I don't see many upright pianos anymore. Um, but if, it, it, if I did need to mic an upright, I would think that it would be because they want the sound of that antique sort of honky-tonk kind of approach. So... If that's the case, don't be afraid of it being a little bit lo-fi. I think, you know, sticking a couple mics on the on the back side where the where the wood is kind of exposed. I would I would stick condensers back there only. Yes. If you have point. if all you have is like SM57s or something, I would open half the half lid at the top and and treat it like you were treating drum overheads. Mm -hmm. and just poke them into the half lid if you don't have some condensers to use on the back because I think that's going to be your tightest source, personal opinion. Good, good point. I like it. What would you tell younger Jeff, Lee, and Jay to stop doing? This is our friend Gomi. I would tell myself to stop eating. Yeah, yeah, honestly. <laughs> um, serious. I would tell myself to be more consistent with my exercise. I think all three of us are in that saying that same thing in different ways. I would tell my younger me this is contradictory to push myself harder, but to be kinder to myself. Mm. Mm. I think part of my screwed up head is that I have not always put myself before things, people objectives work it doesn't matter what insert whatever here and i think part of being kind to yourself is to think about yourself and what you want now where the determinant determination of whether that's good for you bad for you right or wrong that's all lies within you but i would say be kind to yourself but also push yourself a little more that's what i would have told younger me that makes sense and to put down the damn coca-cola i freaking love coca-cola so much i treat myself now i'm allowed one a week 
Oh, it's such a treat. Would you tell, besides the exercise part, what would you tell your younger self about the mental stuff? Um, What's interesting is the, the question is actually, what would you tell younger selves to stop doing? To stop doing, yeah. And I think that's an interesting spin on the question. I would tell my younger self to stop letting my identity be wrapped up in what I do. You know, the significance of what I do is what's important. It's like, man, how are you leading yourself um, in terms of rest and care and the mental side? It's like, you know, not that I regret a lot of things, but it would be a different outcome, I'm sure. So, Yeah, I don't know. Uh, the health thing is the one that just sticks out like a sore thumb. What else would I tell myself to stop doing? It would have I would have to spin this in a way to answer that question, but it would be to go to counseling sooner. So maybe stop trying to think you can fix your stuff on your own, or stop trying to think you can ignore. Yeah, I agree with that. This, these issues, like with family and like some you know some dad stuff, like stop pushing that away. Because yeah. the sooner you deal with that stuff, the better off. You are, your relationships, everybody around you, all of it. That's good. I also wish that I hadn't started shaving when I did, because once you start, <laughs> like, I think I was seven. That's funny. That's awesome. We must answer. All right, Zach's calling me. Here we go. You're live on the podcast right now. Don't cuss. Oh my gosh, I'm glad that you gave that clarity. <laughs> <laughs> How are you doing? I'm good, man. We just got done capturing something for our December 26th experience because we're not doing anything live. So just wrap that up. Did you say December 26th? Yeah, because that's a Sunday. That's Sunday. Oh, it's a Sunday. Oh my gosh. Yeah. All right. Brutal, but it's, hey, Sunday's coming. That's it. It always is. Okay, we're in a Q&A episode, and a question came up that you're the most qualified to answer. Oh, gosh. What is your preferred comm system? Mm. Well, I'm going to go with ClearCom because even though it fully crashed on Sunday morning and we did the entire Valentine and online experience without Intercom, I would still say ClearCom because of how well they tried to take care of me even though we couldn't get the problem fixed on Sunday morning. There you go. So it has less to do with features and reliability, more to do with their support. Oh, man, it's always about support. That's good. Jay said uh, the Riedel Bolero stuff because, you know, it's super fancy and got loads of features. A bottle opener. I do love love that as well. But if I'm going to go on, on record on podcast, I'm going to shout out the team that just took care of me of, of the gear that I own. So, But I will say that uh, Bolero and... Uh, is amazing and ClearCom's amazing as well. I would go with either. If I had to build a new building tomorrow, I don't know which one I would pick. There you go. From the horse's mouth. That's it. Do you know of any, like I, I've heard a lot of brands like really cheaper, affordable stuff for smaller churches. That's not. Gringo. Like Gringo. Do you, know, do you have anything about them? No, I don't really know anything about them. Yeah. But that, that is the name that I have heard. I guess I see that get uh, thrown around a lot, but I, I couldn't tell you anything about it. Yeah, me too. I do know ClearCom has a lot of affordable stuff. At, yeah, for sure. Yep. It can kind of scale large to small. Yeah. All right, buddy. Well, that was it. 
Perfect. Have a good one. You too, Lee. See ya. His his sign off was very formal. You too, Lee. Over and out. <laughs> That's good. My voicemail to him was very formal. Yes. Okay. How to come up with a reasonable budget? How to cover gear maintenance? I. Uh, Josh Hickson. Yeah, Josh. Good question. That is a good question. Josh is at a average sized church, so this isn't a how to come up with your six figure tech budget. I've been thinking a lot about this uh, before I even read this question. And I feel like we need to come up with practical ways to help churches do this, but I'll just give you, can I ask you, can I ask you a question? Yeah. Because I think the key word in that question is reasonable. Right. So, so how do you have a conversation about reasonableness with your leadership? Because sometimes they just don't even know what stuff costs. Right. Well, what ends up happening in a small church is, or average size church, no, every church does this. They have their op- global budget, whether that's $20 million or 200000 and then they start splitting things up in percentages. So maybe, okay, worship and tech, they're going to get $10,000 this year. Now, I think there's a process to figure out, is that the right number based on your church's global operating budget and the mission? How do you even come up with that number? And there's probably exercises that we can do to come up with that. But then let's say you have your number and and it's not changing. Let's say it's 10,000 bucks. What do you spend it on? Well, I think you got to take that money and answer a couple questions. I have not thought about this. I'm just shooting from the hip here. How do we continue to advance the mission of our organization? And then how do we solve our biggest problems? So offense and defense. I'm just rattling off ideas here. You only you can answer the first one. How can you advance the mission of your organization? And how are you going to split that money up? And what's that percentage? But then what's your biggest problem? Well, I'm going to take a guess that right now everyone's biggest problem has to do with volunteer recruitment and development. That's what we're hearing across the board. Yeah, I agree. So um, what would I do to spend money on volunteer recruitment and development? Oh, I don't know. Maybe a subscription to MXU and get all your team some of the world's best training from the world's best people. Am I tooting my own horn here? <laughs> <laughs> no, but it, it helps. I mean, I think that's okay. Um, you know, if you're a big church, you can have all of your volunteers for a hundred bucks a month be trained and. There's another question about to come up about how do you, um, how do you feed? How, how do you get someone to want to be interested in this? And I think that's a great way. It's well, these videos. It's like go binge watch how to mix, how to program lighting, how to do video. It's a it's a great way to do that, and your services are better, and your people are better for it. So, yeah, I like I said, just spitballing, but. I would split those questions up into offense and defense, moving the mission forward and solving your biggest problem. And I think people over gear is always a better use of resources. So whether that's taking some volunteers to Chick-fil-A and that's your whole budget for the year, I think that's a better use than going buying a 57 so that you can have two mics on your snare instead of one. Ooh, pastor. That's good. I think also implied in Josh's question is the idea of gear maintenance. Yeah. I think sometimes keeping up with what you have and being a good steward of caring for your gear and making it last longer 
and not just being sort of distracted by the shiny new toy from the catalog is going to send a, a great message to your leadership. It's going to help your gear last longer. And it's just, it, it, it's better stewardship, yeah. you know? So I think gear maintenance needs to be part of your budget as well. You can easily create a list of expendables that you know it's going to happen. You have this many lighting fixtures with bulbs that need replaced every so often. You've got projectors with bulbs. You've got wireless microphones with batteries. You've got tape. You know, make a spreadsheet of all those things, and then you can easily do some math to figure out what it costs you annually, quarterly, monthly, weekly, even down to each service. You, we know we spend $3.52 in 9-volt batteries per service. Like I think that's good information to have. And when you present such thorough, thought-through information to senior pastor, executive pastor, CFOs, they love seeing that we care that much about what we do to know, hey, next year we're going to spend uh, $850 in AA batteries. I'm going to go call Batteries Plus and see if we can get a corporate rate on AA's and save $85. Or, yeah, like making a case for the sure rechargeables, yeah. you know, and their lifespan. But I think it's in that same sense, so it's okay to say, hey, I think I have a way for us to spend a little less on these in a, on a three-year arc if we go with these rechargeables that have X number of life cycle days. But I think we need to spend a little more on this, and I think by doing that, this, is, this will be the result of that, yep. you know? I think people want to see that you're just thinking. Yeah. And not just asking for things. For sure. You got kind of got to take something away to get a little in those conversations. Okay. Um, what's your reference for a great live mix? Uh, Chris Raybould. Yeah. I think it's like, <laughs> we've said this, used this analogy before. It's like, how do you know what the world's greatest sushi is if all you ever are eating is Chick-fil-A or uh, McDonald's chicken nuggets. What George came up with this analogy. It's really true. I think you just have to continue to expose yourself to environments where you're, you're digesting good and bad. And then you decide for yourself, Hey, I went and saw Muse in 2018 best mix I've ever heard. Well, what else have you heard? Well, that's the only concert I've ever been to. Well, lucky for you, that probably was the best mix you're ever going to hear also. But you know what I mean? Like, how do you how do you know if you only have a certain amount of things to expose yourself to? There's so many variables yeah. to get to that, yeah. But I will say there are some things that I use as a reference for my mix sure. that are internal checks that I have that go, okay, my reference for a great version of this particular band is based on certain things. It's the audience response, it's the way the kick drum feels, it's the overall level of blah, 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 blah. I think it's important to establish both. It's like to have a set of standards for yourself that um, you can use as a reference point so that you can always sort of draw yourself back to the best version of you. That's yep. great. Uh, Go me again. Supply supply chain issues, which we're seeing not just in our industry, but across the board of life. Supply chain issues, need a new console. What do I do? Yeah, so we talked about this a couple episodes ago. A lot of supply chain issues going on. Yamaha is not taking orders on Revage consoles and CLs until uh, 
next year sometime. Now, other manufacturers haven't done that yet, but I do know that other manufacturers are coming up with workarounds for their supply chain issues. So I would just ask questions to uh, to the manufacturers like, what supply chain issues are you guys dealing with? What have you done to do workarounds? If I need spare parts, what's that look like? And just ask a bunch of questions because you know, if you if you have your heart set on a piece of gear, console or not, and you can't get it right now, but you can wait, well, then you should just wait. It's not that big a yep. deal. Unless unless you have a technical need, like where your right. stuff's broken or that, which I would I call the manufacturer, call your salesperson from Integrator, and see if there's a workaround with a discounted rental they can help with or something. But it's yeah. worth the wait. Don't make a short-sighted decision. No, but if you need something now, you got a new campus opening, you got to have a console, well, then you got to go buy something different. So I'll just keep asking questions. Or buy used. And, and those shortage issues are different depending on the manufacturer. They Some are. manufacturers don't have as big of an issue as others. So just have an honest, open conversation, and maybe you can find a way to compromise. I don't like compromise. Okay, Jeff, this one's for you because I'm not going to answer it. Wing or LV1? LV1. Next. Okay. Thanks, Ed J. Lopez. Um, what current mixing trend is overused? From Christian Martinez. Okay. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say something that might go against the grain generally over the last few years, but I'm kind of over the overuse of effects. Yeah. And so that may just be a personal thing. I think I could use maybe a little bit drier mix yeah, and maybe that'll become a thing. I don't know. Um, some people are just getting into effects though for the first time. So I don't know that it's overused for everybody. Um, well, it was such a signature thing to Andrew that we, we talked about it and displayed it so much because it was a part of him. It was very unique. And then I think mm -hmm. that rubs off on people and they want to try it. And then we teach people how to layer reverbs. And then before you know it, it's like everybody's got all this verb swimming everywhere. And I'm not saying I'm not saying layering layering reverbs should go away. I still want to sure. layer them. I still want to use multiple effects. I just think reverb times and sizes of spaces and all that stuff might be a little shorter for me personally coming down the pike. I don't disagree. I, I, I don't I don't think the big washy thing is gonna be my preference for much longer. I think for the longest time now probably over a year, I'm not using a tap delay at all. It's just kind of, yeah. I'm just pulling it out more and more. Yeah. Yeah. I think BGV tracks have gotten so heavy that the layering, like the delay uh, stuff just makes it muddier for me. Adds to the chaos. Yeah. I would say drum replacement. I freaking hate it. I don't hate it because I don't think it sounds good. I hate it because people are screwing up their mixes and yeah. putting stuff out of time and don't even know it. It just drives me crazy. And it certainly sounds less live. I mean, not only does it sound not as good because of the time and phase problems, but it's when you have a different snare drum on every song, it's like, well, that's not from the same show. Why right. would they do that? Yeah, that's weird. Like if it's a live mix, I want it to sound live. Okay. And it's not that hard to freaking tune a Black Beauty. I'm sorry. Exactly. Buy a good drum. Hit it hard. Yes. Stop. My gosh. Okay. 
Related, best practices for Waves Live setup, how to keep latency low and how to route Dante. Well, I think the Dante part has nothing to do with the first part of your question, Justin Martin, but we'll, uh, we'll go for it. Waves Live setup, I'm seeing more people, this is another trend, actually. I'm seeing more people do this without a dedicated server. They're just using their laptop. Don't do that. Don't do that. Stop. You, you can do it if it's like, um, well, I use that for reverb and it's like non-time-based stuff because when you're not using a server, the latency is insane. It's insane. Like just go, go test that. You could be into the hundreds of milliseconds doing it that way. If you're using the wrong plugins. Yes. I said hundreds. So yeah, use a server and something I learned from Chris and I'm going to start doing is if you're like, say your vocals specifically, when they go into super rack and they get processed and they come back to the console, make sure you're not adding or taking away any volume so that if something happened with super rack or any type of plugin processing and it went down, when you pop the insert off, the level's still the same. So maybe even your high pass filter is on the console and maybe even the EQ, the first EQ is on the console. Yeah. So that if you lost all your processing, you're not totally hosed. And then I'd also have a button to recall a scene that bypasses all your inserts quickly. So that if it went down, you're just one button and then all your inserts are turned off so that you've got audio again. Because if it crashes and the inserts are on, you're muting those channels. Good. To the question about how to keep latency low, I would say use the lowest latency plugins as possible. So a lot of Waves plugins are zero latency, which helps, but you still have to account for the path in and out of the desk. Right, and changing so. the buffer size of the server will change that. So you have to balance that with your um, the CPU usage and how high you're getting in the in the limit of the server with the buffer size, with the latency. It, it all works together. It's this dance you have to do. And if you're using Waves with in-ears, you have to even be more careful of that because singers will notice a five millisecond delay in their ears drummers will notice i've heard people online say recently oh they don't notice and they're at seven or eight milliseconds i'm like you yes they do they just may not know because that's all they've ever known but if you turn it off they may be much happier and they're going to play better it's good what are what are your favorite ways to pour into the tech team that was jack skull jeff you know, I think there's a couple of things. There's a couple of simple things. Um, I think pouring into them with practical training is a great thing, but also pouring into them with food and gathering around a table and hang time and get to know each other. You know, having an environment offline outside of the heat of the moment, away from a service or rehearsal where we can just get to know each other and build relationship. I mean, we talk about that a lot around here, but I think actually doing it will do more for your team than maybe any technical training you could do. So I think it's both. It's got to be technical and it's got to be relational and it's got to be a part of your budget. I think spending money on like social time, whether it's a quarterly deal or monthly or, you know, occasionally, whatever it is. I mean, your, your food budget for your production team should be a line item. It's great. I think it's also great to highlight people, not like 
I mean, yes, basically like employee of the month vibe, but like if you do newsletters, like if you do a production team newsletter, audio team newsletter, or even a worship team newsletter altogether, by highlighting people on your team that gives people some context of who they are, where they've come from, ask them some fun questions. I think all that stuff is great. That's awesome. That's good. Okay, Jacob Martin and three E's at the end. Sorry. Should audio engineers be experienced in both live and studio? I'm going to ask that question a different way because I think I know the heart of what you're trying to ask. Should a live engineer also have a studio experience to be a great engineer? And should a studio engineer have live experience to be a great studio engineer? I don't think you have to have either one. They're different. It's, you know, it's I race motorcycles and I race NASCAR. It's you're both racing, but it's very, very different. Um, but I know I could benefit from more time in the studio. There's two areas specifically. Mixing on near field monitors at lower volume is a freaking skill that is very different than mixing on a giant line array, pushing air, interacting with a big room and people. I want to get better at mixing on studio monitors and then uh, close micing things in the studio. It's all about mic placement and processing gets done by someone else in a different building weeks later. Like if you think about that, where in live it's, uh, is there a mic on it? Great. Let me see how much I can EQ this thing to make it sound good. <laughs> it's so <laughs> backwards and the best yeah. sounding stuff in the world comes from uh, the first scenario from putting the microphone in the right place. It's like, we got to do way better in live sound about doing that part. I think one thing studio work gives you is the luxury of time to be able to explore that very thing. Like what happens to the tone of this signal when I move the mic one inch off axis and to be able to record both and hear the difference like those those kinds of things in terms of the way you educate yourself are invaluable. That, that's the biggest takeaway I had from the studio days for me was just understanding how these tools work because I had the time to really explore. When I turn this knob this many dB at this frequency, here's what this is really doing. A lot of that minutiae you don't get in a live environment. Now, I will say the energy of troubleshooting and flying by the seat of your pants and combat audio and all that stuff, a studio guy can learn from the live engineer a ton about that kind of stuff. So I think it, it can be both and be very effective, but I don't think it's, it's a must. I think one thing that is a must, though, is for both live and studio engineers to have a musical sensibility. Like you don't have to play an instrument necessarily, but you do need to be musical. So a lot of you um, need to just get better at what you're listening to and how you process things musically just as much as you do technically. Okay, Jay, this next question is for you. Best advice for people wanting to tour? Don't. Next question. <laughs> uh it comes at a price, so know that going in. However, when I was 17, it was great. Uh, and I think the best thing to do is, one, get to somewhere that touring is prevalent. I didn't do that as much because I lived in Atlanta. I never moved to Nashville, neither did Jeff. But I was around a lot of people that toured, and I pushed cases. And then I 
push cases and did another job. Then I pushed cases and then did monitors and I pushed cases and then front of house. Then I pushed cases, became a PM. Then I pushed cases, became a TM. So I think it's just getting around it. Being in the room is it. I um, I think attitude has way more to do with skill set in those early days. So be available, be dependable, and get around it. I think that goes for anything in life, though. Uh, there was a guy... He's actually from Georgia. He DM'd me months ago. And I get these occasionally. I know you do, Jay. People wanting to start touring. Like, hey, how do I start? And I told him, well, you've never had a better opportunity than right now, first of 100%, 100%. Everyone is hiring. Like every tour probably a week before they're going out is still looking for someone. So I just told him to start calling every rental house in Nashville and telling people he was available. He was on a tour like two weeks later, a big one. Well, how about Zach? That was on our tour. Yeah. Whereas the first week we were on tour, we were talking with Zach, who was um, our lighting guy. And I was like, so what do you want to do? He worked for DC Pro. Still yeah. does work for DC Pro. And he's like, yeah, I love doing the DC. He loves the DC Pro guys. Daniel's been like a mentor to him and been amazing. He's like, but I want a tour. And he's young. He's 20. Um, and... uh He's like, I want a tour. And so I was like, great. Are you sure? We talked about it for the next four weeks. We were out on the road. And um, sure enough, there there he is. He's, he did Jimmy Fallon, by the way, yesterday. I don't know if you saw that, Lee. Well, he was? That's amazing. Yeah, Nico played Jimmy Fallon yesterday. That's awesome. Yeah, anyways. But uh, I think the rental house is a great safe way to do it because there can be work when touring's not happening. And there are some older people that have done it that can help guide you too. So find a good rental house at tours. Spectrum Nashville for audio guys is a great place. It is. Spectrum's amazing. Amen. And the guys at IPS are awesome too. Call Steven Samuels. Just email him. I'll give you his email address. DM me. I'll give you a cell phone number and home address. Okay. We got less than 10 questions left. I think some of these, we can just give a couple word answers. They're pretty simple. Okay. What software method do we use to record this podcast? I'm using QuickTime. I've used it since day one just to record my own microphone. Jeff, what do you use? Yeah. So quick, I'll just give a quick rundown of the whole process. So we're on a Zoom call right now so we can see each other, but we don't rely on Zoom for the audio. It's crap. So we each record our individual microphones to QuickTime, and then the guys send me their files. I load them into Pro Tools and edit from there, and then I just bounce uh, a file, a two mix out of Pro Tools that we upload to podcast platforms, and that's it. So I do some processing in Pro Tools uh, with some of our favorite Waves plugins, but um, really it's it's as simple as getting an isolated recording of each microphone, combining them together, and edit for content because I got to bleep out Jay sometimes, and then bounce a two mix. Pretty simple. Or just buy that recorder thing. Now, that's the other option is the Rodecaster. Tascam has one too, but Rode has one called the Rodecaster. It's got four inputs, and it's got automatic compression EQ, ducking. You can even have hot buttons for sound effects and music beds. See, you could just beat me live. You could beat me. um, Just make sure the effects fader is down, though, when you're recording. Yes, exactly. (laughs) That thing's amazing. Okay. Um... How to encourage people to learn more about their craft? They got to want it. They got to want it. Totally. I mean, this thing started, this whole 
MXU thing started because you three wanted to be better at your craft. Mm-hmm. Yep. You got to want it. it. I do think in the church, you're going to have people volunteer because they want to volunteer for the church and they don't know where to go. So they just land on your team. So I think you just got to expose them to everything, you know, try stage managing, try camera operating. Why don't you hang out with the audio guy one weekend, you know, and then just ask, like, did you like any of that? Do you want to try the parking lot team children's volunteer? So, you know, I, I think with what we do with it being church, people just want to serve their church. Also, they may not have an interest in anything technical. They may not be a musician. True. So you're going to have that too. So creating positions on your team for people like that can be great too. So maybe you want someone to volunteer to cook breakfast on Sunday mornings for your team. Like that can be a great spot on a worship protecting team too. So get creative. I would also say for a leader of the team, encourage your team around the value of curiosity. Encourage them to expand what they're listening to as a way to get better. Um, try new things on the production team. Cross-train. Maybe figure out how to get the audio team interested in how lighting and video works. I think it's just a, a really good opportunity for somebody who's inherently curious to encourage them to nurture that curiosity as a way to stay motivated on how to always get better. Okay, this is a good question here. We could spend a lot of time on it, but we won't. How would you mix a lower dB level, let's say 90 max, A-weighted, but maintain a powerful sound? David Candler. Turn the subs up. <laughs> so you cannot do this if you're having to overpower the room. So where people get in trouble is when just the live drums on stage are already at 88 dB, well, then you can't have the mix be at 90 and it sound, you can't even have it sound good at that point. So right, you won't even hear the drums in the PA. Yeah. If you've got a target of 90 dB at your church, that's the max it can be. First of all, I'm sorry. But if, if the room doesn't sound amazing and super dead and really tightly controlled, that's going to be very, 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 very difficult to do. Um, the rooms that we hear people talk about, like, oh, like Bethel's max SPL is it's in that range. It's like 90, 92. The room is super dead. It really is. And the stage is dead quiet. So without starting there, you can't do what they're doing. And you'll hear people say like, oh, you got to use lots of compression. That's not necessarily true. Compression is a great way to control the dynamic range and keep everything sounding tight, but that's not how you get that done. You get that done by great PA design and amazing room acoustics that control the energy in the room. Um, best conference to send people to? Um, we don't have a conference, so I can't say ours, Clint. Just kidding. Ours. Are we going to do a uh, tour again, guys? Because the next question is, yes. is there a next tour and will we come to Canada? Oh, Canada. Well, I don't know if you know this, Canadians, but they're throwing people in jail for going to the grocery store at the wrong time. So until y'all get that mess sorted out, I don't think we can talk about coming to your country. Also, your state liquor store laws are weird and hours. Like, figure that out. I'm going to just need to know it's open at 10 p.m. when I need it. Um, <laughs> we are going to do a tour. We're probably not going to come to Canada next year, but stay tuned. Yeah. We'll have announcements forthcoming. Hopefully um, early, early next year we're going to announce the tour. So in January, you'll hear more about that. Um, 
one more, and you, then we'll close. Do you think I'll be able to host it? Of course. You better, or I'm not coming. Close call. I don't, I don't know why you even asked. <laughs> Would it be safe you don't like the wing because of the UI? Andrew Kaufman, I think he's asking me this. Um, that is one of the reasons I don't like the wing. But I feel like that question's also like, is it safe that you don't like the console because of the console? Well, yeah, the UI is a massive part of it, but reliability is another part. My screen didn't work. So there's that. Yeah. There's a lot of reasons. A lot of reasons. I think support is a big reason. They they let go of a lot of really great salespeople and support people. And I just I like things about the console. If y'all go back and watch that video. Everybody forgot that 85% of it. I'm like, hey, this thing's actually pretty cool. It's got great features that no other console has. It actually doesn't sound terrible. Uh, mixing on its fun once it gets set up. But getting there, freaking sucked. And I would never have a volunteer on it and then get stuck and not know where to get to on something. Patching the thing sucks. All that. But Behringer did ask us if we would send them some feedback and help with future versions of the firmware. We just never heard back from them. So there's that. Okay, last question. How to work with leaders who are not on mission? Justin, I had a gut response to this. I don't. It's kind of harsh. Let's hear it. I think that question is indicative to your own attitude. Like, how do you know that they're not on mission? Maybe you're not. Like, if it's if it's your leader, isn't it their mission? Like, who are we to judge what their mission is? But what if the, what if their mission's bearing no fruit? Uh, yeah, I, I sure. But this is a relationship. A lot question. Of, yeah, there's a lot of loaded questions in here. It's like when you say not on mission, are they not on mission with the vision that's been clarified and communicated? Because if that's the case, then that's a different conversation. But if they're not on what you think should be the mission, then you might need to find another mission. I mean, I'm, you yeah. know, th there's a lot of ways to answer this question. But it all starts with a conversation, sounds like. Yeah. Don't they all? Everybody has to have clarity around where the bullseye on the target is. Because that's the only way we can evaluate it when we hit it and talk about it when we miss it. For sure. All right, well, guys, guys. This has been fun. Yeah, we just got through uh, like 30-something questions. That's pretty good. Love it. Yeah. Um, I got a Digico sweater in the mail. Did y'all get one? I've been asked for my address a lot the last few weeks. Maybe it's coming. I still have my sweater from a couple of years ago. That was really nice of them. I would have preferred yeah. underwear, but I get it. You get socks from Ross, so underwear from somebody would be good. Do you know how many pair of Ross socks I have? I won't wear them, mainly because I don't like Jeremy. <laughs> <laughs> and with that, we need to close. That's hilarious. Awesome. Well, let's close with a... Uh, uh, I'll close with a uh, clarinet rendition of I Wish You a Merry Christmas. Christmas. <laughs> well, Jay, that was awesome. I can't believe it. Merry Christmas. Love you guys. We'll talk to you soon. See ya. Bye. Book me at your church, play clarinet. <laughs> <laughs>